Amen. My title for you this morning is The Holy Spirit, Our Helper. The Trinity is simultaneously one of the most unifying and one of the most divisive doctrines in the Bible. On the one hand, it unifies Christians of various denominations and backgrounds. We may not agree, for example, on the best mode of baptism, biblically speaking. But regarding the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit being one God in three distinct persons, three distinct persons being one God, we agree on that. On the other hand, cults which are spin-offs of Christianity. That is the definition of a cult, by the way. A cult is similar to Christianity, but very dissimilar from Christianity. Examples would be Mormonism or Jehovah's Witnesses. They don't believe or teach in the Trinity. This is one of the markers that distinguishes them from us. And so the doctrine of the Trinity divides them from us and us from them, and rightly so, because the Trinity is a biblical doctrine. Regardless of whether or not you have any religious background, any education regarding the Bible, this much is certain. You can't make it through the Bible without dealing with the theme of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, namely the Trinity. And once your eyes are opened to it, like a lot of other doctrines in the Bible, it becomes so apparent that you see it everywhere, and you wonder how you didn't see it more before. Its implications are simply everywhere. Case in point, our passage this morning in John chapter 14, as much as we have placed our focus on Jesus leading up through the gospel of John to this point, Rightly so, Jesus himself is going to take our focus off of him for a moment to place it on God, the Holy Spirit, an incredibly important part of the Christian life. He's going to teach us that, number one, the Spirit of God is a gift, and number two, the Spirit of God has a purpose. Two things this morning. The Spirit of God is a gift, and number two, the Spirit of God has a purpose. So if you're ready to get started this morning, say amen. amen. First point is the Spirit is a gift. Now we've already read the passage, so we're not going to go over it at length, but the passage begins with a turn. If you love me, Jesus says, you will keep my commandments. And this is the dividing line when it comes to Christ followers versus cultural or we might say convenient Christianity. This is what Dietrich Bonhoeffer used to call cheap grace. This is not the Christianity that we find in the Bible, but this is that Christianity that is so popular in the culture. You're not Jewish, you're not Muslim, so you must be Christian. But Jesus turns by saying, if you love me, you will do what? Keep my commandments. Cultural Christianity is not genuine. A Christ-following Christianity is genuine. What is the parameter? It is obedience. If you have no desire to be obedient to Christ, then you must ask yourself if you even know Christ. That's not me talking. That's the Word of God talking. 
If you answer yourself in the affirmative, if you do indeed know Christ, then in view of John 14, 15, why don't you long to obey him? If you know Christ, then there should be an expectation of a desire to fulfill his joy in being obedient. Don't miss the conditional clause that Jesus begins this statement with. He says, if you love me. Did you get that? If you love me, you will keep my commandments. But more on that in a moment. First, I want you to note that the Spirit is a gift. Better, the Spirit is a gift from the Father. Better still, the Spirit is a gift from the Father in the name of the Son. Verse 16 says, look at it with your eyes as I read aloud. I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you for how long? Forever. There's a couple of things that I want to note here in this text. First, the Spirit is designated as another helper. The Spirit of God is designated as another helper. This implies, of course, that there is already a helper, right? Who would that be? Well, of course, Jesus is referring to himself as the first helper. And he's saying that the Spirit himself will be another helper. Let's break this down a little further. I want you to note that the word another in the phrase another helper is a particular word in the Greek. In Greek, there are two words for the word another. The first means another of the same kind. The second word that's used for another means another of a different kind. Here, in this case, Jesus chooses the first option. He's not saying that it's not working out as far as him being in a helper, so he's going to give you a different kind of helper. No, that's not what he's saying. What he's saying is that he is going to bring or give a helper who's just like him. Just another helper. One commentator writes this, The Spirit is a second of the same, not of a different order. I'm not sure I could say it any more clearly than that. So in the phrase, another helper, we know that the word another means just like Jesus. But the second part of this phrase, another helper, is, of course, the word helper. And this word helper is a compound Greek word. It goes like this, parakaleo. Parakaleo. Of course, the prefix para is the word that we borrow and use for a lot of things like parallel, something that runs alongside of something else. Parachurch. A parachurch organization is, a, is an organization that's not a church, but works alongside of a church in a particular ministry. So para is the prefix. Kaleo, the second part of this word, that means to call or to talk to. So this compound word, parakaleo, essentially carries with, it, carries with it the idea of calling someone by your side so that you can talk to them. J.I. Packer writes this, a rich word for which there is no adequate English translation, since it means by turns comforter, 
in the, strength, in the sense of strengthener, counselor, helper, supporter, advisor, advocate, ally, senior friend, and only a person, J.I. Packer says, could fulfill such a role as this. Well, you get the point. What Jesus is saying here and what this quote from Packer is saying is that not only is the Spirit going to be just like Jesus, another helper like him, but he's going to be a helper beyond what even our English vocabulary can describe. He's the kind of person who can counsel us, advise us, be our ally, strengthen us when we're weak, and give us wisdom when we are confused. That's the kind of helper that we are describing here in John 14, verse 16. That's the first thing I want you to note. But the second thing I want you to note is this. The Spirit is a permanent or eternal gift. Look at verse 16 again. It says, I will ask the Father. He will give you another helper. We've broken that down already. And look at what he says. To be with you how long? Forever. To be with you how long? Forever. There are cliches and and cliques and factions within Christianity that suggest and even teach that the Holy Spirit can be revoked, taken away, or that a Christian's connection to God is somehow always teetering. While it's true that our intimacy with God can be affected negatively, And positively, I need you to hear me now. It is untrue that God's Spirit would ever be taken from one of His adopted children or that we would ever be lost after having been saved. Here's the proof. Jesus says that the Spirit is not a temporary gift or that the Spirit is a conditional gift but that the Spirit is an eternal gift. Jesus says that the Spirit would be given to his disciples for how long? Forever. And is it in a blessing to know that the presence of God, no matter what, whether we're going through a high or a low, through a good time or a bad, is always present with us as a helper? Moving on to verses 18 through 24, Jesus now continues his talk, but it's going to turn a corner just a bit, and it's going to focus on the practical implications of God the Holy Spirit being in our lives. In other words, what can we or what should we expect as people who have been endowed and possessed by God the Holy Spirit Look at it again, if you would, please. Verse 18, it says, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Yet a little while, and the world will see me no more, but you will see me because I live. You also will live. And in that day, you will know that I am in the Father, and you in me, and I in you. Whoever has my commandments, get this, and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. Judas, who is not Iscariot, John is careful to distinguish the two here, he says to Jesus, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world? Jesus says, get this, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, 
and he will come, we will come to him and make our home with him. Whoever does not love does not keep my words. And my, and excuse me, and the word that you have heard is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. First, I want you to note verse 21. Verse 21 says, Whoever has my commandments and keep them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. This is a direct correlation between those who love and align themselves with Christ and the lifestyle that they live. In other words, we should see a marked difference between those who name the name of Christ and those who don't. Those who don't and those who do. Jesus has just finished teaching us about the promised Holy Spirit who will endow and possess all those who are disciples of Christ in such a way that he will empower them and comfort them and strengthen them to fulfill the word that Christ has given. That is the marked difference between those who don't love Christ and those who do. There is such a thing as this non, or excuse me, there is no such thing as this nonsense of someone being a Christian while not following the word of Christ. There is no such thing. And there is no such thing as someone who does follow the word of Christ but is not bothered by sin and is not bothered by immorality. The idea that someone can say they believe something while living in, in, in direct contradiction to it is foreign to the Bible and is foreign to Christianity. And then in verse 24, Jesus says the same thing but the other way around. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words. If you love me, you will keep my words. But he flips it around here and he says, but if you don't love me, you won't keep my words. <laughs> this is not that hard to follow. I think you can get the gist here. And the word that you hear is not mine, he says, but the Father's who sent me. Either way you look at it, to be a Christian means to be in a love relationship with Christ and therefore a dedicated Christ follower. We obey Jesus because we love Jesus. If we don't follow Jesus, it's because we don't love him. This can't be emphasized enough. If we don't follow Christ, but we use the word because we want that word to describe who we are, we're being dishonest. It's not about perfection or being perfect. It's about love and integrity and honesty. The question is simply, do you love Jesus? Not whether or not you're perfect, but whether or not you love Jesus. That is Christianity. Theology and doctrine are so important. Week in, week out, we go over things like that based upon the Word of God here on Lord's Day. Church polity, programs, these things are important. Yes, all of these things help make us who we are and guide us in the lifestyle that we live as church-attending Christians. But 
The only real question that matters is this. Do you love Jesus? I know you know what I'm talking about. We bump into people who know polity and know theology, but they're empty and devoid of love. They don't love Jesus. You say, man, you've got these programs memorized really well, but you don't know any scripture and you never mention Jesus. There's danger there. There's danger in knowing the traditions of men better than we know the commandments of God. In Matthew chapter 15, in fact, Jesus himself warns the Pharisees of this. He says, you transgress the word of God by your commandments. Teaching four commandments, the traditions of men. Traditions are valuable, but traditions do not trump the word of God. And the word of God tells us that what it comes down to for you and me is not how much of our denomination's tradition or how much of our family's religious background we have memorized. The only thing that matters to you, to the Lord, to your children, and to your grandchildren is whether or not you love Jesus. Two commandments. None other is renewed in the New Testament. Two commandments. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul, all your strength and all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. That's it. Everything else falls under those two commandments. If you love me, you'll keep my commandments. The only question you and I will ever really have to answer is not whether or not we're perfect. If we were perfect, Jesus would not have had to die on the cross for our sins, right? As Bruce sang today, where were you when I was going through this darkness? Where were you when you were suffering? When I was suffering, you were on the cross, paying for the suffering, paying for the sin, paying for the difficulty, in full, by the way, Not because we don't need it, but because we could never satisfy that payment on our own behalf. Jesus did for us what he didn't need to do because we could not do for ourselves what God demanded of us. That's the gospel. I don't care if you're a Presbyterian or a Methodist or non-denominational. It doesn't matter to me at the end of the day because I don't find any of those denominations in my New Testament. Now, I'm a Baptist for a reason. Don't misunderstand me. But at the end of the day, the only thing that will matter is whether or not we love Jesus. That's all that matters. And we cannot put secondary or tertiary issues in a position of primary importance. My question for you is, do you love Jesus? And if you love Jesus, you're doing so much better than you think you are. Yeah, you're going to learn. Of course you're going to grow in grace. Yes, you're going to fight against sin. But those things happen as a result of your loving Jesus. You're not working yourself into his love. You are either in his love or you are not. What helps us understand that? Who helps us understand that? Who helps the realization of that become the reality in our lives? A gift. From the Father, in the name of the Son.
to every Christ follower. We call him God the Holy Spirit. Our second point this morning is this. It's going to lead from that to our next point, namely that God the Holy Spirit has a purpose. God the Holy Spirit has a purpose. So look with your eyes, if you would, please, at verse 25. Let's read it. It says, These things I have spoken to you while I'm still with you. But the helper, remember he's another helper, the Holy Spirit whom the Father will send, what does he say? In my name. He will teach you how many things? All things. And bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. Not as the world gives do I give. Let not your hearts be troubled. Chapter 14, verse 1, Jesus says the exact same thing. Let not your hearts be troubled. Neither let them be afraid. You heard me say to you, I am going away and I will come to you. If you loved me, you would have rejoiced because I'm going to the Father. For the Father is greater than I. And now I have told you before it takes place, purpose clause in the Greek, hina, so that... I'm telling you this now so that when it happens, you will, I love this, in the Greek, there's no word for believe. So that when it happens, you will faith. It's just a verb to faith. I'm telling you this now so that when I'm gone and it happens, you go, this is what Jesus said would happen. When it happens, I want you to faith as a result of me having told you before it did happen. Verse 30 says, I will no longer talk much with you. The ruler of this world is coming. He has no claim on me. But I do as the Father has commanded me, again, so that the world may know that I love the Father. Rise, let us go from here. So our second and final point this morning is that the Spirit is a gift, yes, but that the Spirit as a gift is given to us with a purpose. The Spirit has a purpose. So this is our next and final point. And this passage is going to impart to us, I think, two important observations. And before I get to these two observations, let me say this. It's a shame that there seems to be two extremes on the topic of the Holy Spirit within the Christian church. Some go farther than the New Testament permits them to, acting like they've lost all self-control, like they're hysterical, Rolling in the aisles and shaking, falling down and speaking in unintelligible languages, which is not a biblical definition of tongues, gyrating, or they're some kind of modern-day spiritual guru or prophet, depending on their definition, of course, all because they're supposedly inspired by God the Holy Spirit. We simply don't see any of that in the Bible. If you turn on the radio or you turn on the television or you're listening to a podcast or something like that, and that is what is being demonstrated, know this, first and foremost, there's no evidence for it in the Bible. None. 
That is a recent advent within the Christian church. We don't see that in the Bible. In fact, one of the fruit of the Holy Spirit is not a loss of self-control. It is self-control. So when you see people in the name of the Holy Spirit losing all self-control, you can know that you do not belong in that environment, biblically speaking. That's one extreme. The other extreme is, interestingly enough, we lost this projector. Fell from grace. (laughs) They swing to the other end of the spectrum. They have almost no doctrine of God, the Holy Spirit at all. And they not only explain away the myriad of verses that we see in the Bible, both Old and New Testament, of God the Holy Spirit, but they replace the ministry of God the Holy Spirit with things like man-made rules and regulations that are centered more on traditions and guidelines than they are on the Word of God. That is what we call legalism. Listen. God the Holy Spirit can do in you so much more than any rule or regulation ever could. Now, those are two extremes. Please understand. I believe in God the Father, God the Son, and yes, God the Holy Spirit. Too often in conservative Christian uh, 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 groups, We hear like God the Father, God the Son, and God the... Why? Without God the Holy Spirit, salvation would not be a reality for us. Without God the Holy Spirit, the Christian life would be an impossibility. Without God the Holy Spirit, conquering sin would be impossible. Without God the Holy Spirit, we would not have the spiritual gifts that we have. Without God, the Holy Spirit, etc., etc. So before I bring those, these two important observations from this text to your attention, I want you to know this. If you're not rolling in the aisles, it doesn't mean that you don't believe in God, the Holy Spirit. But we can overcorrect, uh, overcorrect our doctrine of the Holy Spirit to such an extent that our Christianity becomes rigid and stiff And while we're singing, we're worshiping, God the Holy Spirit is is bringing in our minds and in our souls a sort of awareness of what God has done for us this week, and we've never lifted our hands and praised to God, and the Spirit of God is sort of compelling us to do it, and we're scared, but we feel like it's going to happen. No, we're not going to do it. Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, do not put out the fire of the Spirit. He says, do not extinguish the Spirit. In other words, when God the Holy Spirit is making you hot about the things of Christ, don't put the fire out. If God is bringing within you an awareness of who he is in the midst of your circumstances, raise your hands and praise. If you're nervous raising two hands, raise one. If you're nervous raising a hand, just kind of lift it. I love what the psalm says. It's one of my favorite psalms, Psalm 116. What will I return to the Lord for all that he has done for me? 
In the very next verse, he says, I will raise the cup of salvation. You know, I'll take another. You know why we don't praise in the fullness of the Spirit? It's not only because we're wondering what our neighbor is going to think about us when we start to rock side to side and raise our hands in praise. We also don't do it because we don't know God. If you knew God, you'd raise your hands. If you knew God, you'd wonder, give me some space, I need to praise. I know what God got me through this week. I need to lift up his name, make way for praise. You need to know, in this church, that's allowed. It's encouraged. Now, if you drop to the floor and roll, we're like, come on, brother, get back in there, come on. (laughs) You need to save that for the living room. Because we don't see it in the Bible. But when I read the Psalms, I see dancing. When I read the Psalms, I see a raising of the hands. When I read the Psalms, I hear a lot of shouting. So we do these things because they're biblical. But let us not throw away what is biblical. Because there is a faction within Christianity that is doing something that's not biblical. Amen? So having made that observation... Let me bring to your attention two things that I see in this text. The first is this. The Holy Spirit will focus on Jesus, not himself. You need to get this. The Holy Spirit will focus on Jesus, not himself. Look at verse 26 with your eyes. I'll read it. It says, but the helper, just in case we're confused, the Holy Spirit The helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name. I mean, this Trinitarian conversation is all there, right? The Holy Spirit sent from the Father in the name of the Son. That helper, that helper, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said. The first thing I want you to note here is that the Holy Spirit focuses on Jesus and not on himself. There is something in this John 14, 26 that a lot of Christians need to hear. So let me say it plainly. The Holy Spirit's ministry is not to make much of himself. The Holy Spirit's ministry is to make much of Jesus. God the Holy Spirit was given to Christians not to bring attention to himself, but to bring attention to whom? Say the name. Yes. If a church service is geared toward asking the Spirit for some kind of so-called power or some called some kind of ecstatic experience if a christian group emphasizes nothing but spiritual gifts in particular what we would call the sign gifts prophecy and speaking in tongues if this is the case then there's a theological imbalance and in many cases i would say without hesitation theological error they are wrong 
not just imbalanced, but wrong and dangerously wrong. We have had a faction or a element of the new age movement sneak into American Christianity today because the new age movement is not about God. It's about just connecting with the spirit in the universe. Everything is motivation. Everything is positivity. Everything is connecting with whatever he or she spirit is out there. That's new age, but it's crept into the church in many elements. I say church. I use that word very, very loosely. The reality of the matter is God the Holy Spirit endows and possesses Christians, but not to make much of himself. Instead, to make much of Jesus. Our emphasis is to be on Jesus. Listen, if you look at this verse, you will know point of fact without any equivocation or doubt. It is biblical in the power of the Spirit to emphasize Jesus. Every single Lord's Day, every single day of the week, we emphasize by the power of the Spirit and the spiritual gifts that he has given to us who Jesus is and what he has done. Sure, the Spirit should have his due recognition. Amen? I think we've clarified that. We don't want to fall on either extreme of of an unbiblical hysteria or of a rigidity and a legalism that isn't found in the Bible either. We want the Spirit to be vital and active and engaged in our church at large and in our lives in particular. Amen? We want to be able to say, thank you, Spirit, for your ministry in my life. So we say amen to that. We believe that wholeheartedly. He's the third person of the Trinity, after all. But observe his ministry and purpose. His ministry and purpose is to bring our focus on whom? Jesus. A little later, John chapter 16, verse 13. It says this of the Spirit. The Spirit will not speak of his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak. You see, the Spirit is divine. The Spirit is eternal, just as the Father and just as the Son. But each person of the Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, all have a job description. And the Holy Spirit's job description includes following the will of the Father and the Son in regards to the purpose of the church. We don't tell the Spirit what we want. The Spirit tells us what Jesus wants. That's why we must have our faces in the Word. That's why we must have our faces within the boundaries of the inerrant and inspired word of God so that we don't one day bump into a Christian that goes, oh, you don't speak in tongues? What's your problem? And then we go, oh, I don't speak in tongues? Oh, I'm, I'm a lesser Christian now. I'm like a Christian light. No, not at all. That statement is not biblical. And if we were in the Bible, we would know as much. So we have to be careful that we don't allow people who are basing their doctrines of the Holy Spirit on the Bible to influence us to believe something that isn't found in the Bible. 
So the Spirit's ministry isn't to emphasize himself. It isn't even to emphasize the talents that he gives to us once we are baptized by him. They're not called our gifts. They're called the gifts of whom? The gifts of the Spirit. The Spirit's ministry isn't to emphasize himself or to emphasize even his gifts. The Spirit's ministry is to bring our focus on Jesus. Now, this includes the Spirit teaching, Jesus says, or bringing to remembrance, Jesus says, things that Jesus had taught. In other words, the Spirit's objective is to help you and to help me learn and understand and remember the teaching of our Lord Jesus. Second, this is the second observation I want us to make in this text, there will be peace among the believers. So the first thing, the Spirit is uh, given to us with a purpose, right? And the first purpose is the Spirit makes our focus to be on Jesus. The second, and I'm wrapping up with this, there will be peace among the believers. Now we might think that this conversation would continually lead to discouragement. Jesus says a lot of things to the disciples that leave them a little disheartened. I'm leaving you. I'm leaving you. I'm leaving you. Where I'm going, you know where I'm going. And they go, we have no idea where you're going. Why are you leaving again? Jesus continues to say, don't be afraid. Don't let your hearts be troubled. I'm going to give you another helper, a helper just like me. And that helper is going to remind you and teach you what I have taught you already. I'm also going to leave you something else. Look at what it says. Verse 27. Peace I leave with you. Peace I leave with you. A beautiful word in the Greek, irene. It's the name that we get Irene from. That's Hannah's middle name. In Greek, it means peace. Peace I leave with you. Yes, it's Jesus' peace. My peace I give to you that's being granted to the disciples. And I think it's by way of the Spirit. In my opinion, I think what he's saying is, is uh, the helper is going to remind you of all my teachings and my peace I leave with you. I think he's saying my peace I leave with you by way of the ministry of the Spirit. I think that's what he's saying. A couple chapters later, he brings up the Holy Spirit and peace again together. Of course, if we jump to Galatians chapter 5, we read these words. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, and guess what? Peace. So I think what Jesus is saying is, as I'm leaving my peace with you, the person who's going to give it to you is the Holy Spirit. I think that where the presence of God, the Holy Spirit is, there is peace. I think that's what is being said here by Jesus in this text.